Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 5 today. Today might get a little personal because 1 Peter 5 is all about, Peter is telling us, so we're finishing 1 Peter today. 1 Peter is, um, Peter is telling us kind of how pastors should be, how they're supposed to lead the church, what it's supposed to look like. And a lot of these things that I'll be saying, they is actually me. So we're just going to push through and we're just going to talk about it and go with it. So I apologize if it's your first time or you're kind of like new to the church or new to our church. There's more insider language than normal today, but that's just going to have to be okay because we preach through books of the Bible. It is what it is. It's going to be great, okay, or at least subpar. So, so I don't know if you know, but I grew up in a ministry home. Everybody in my family are in ministry, like everybody. Not on my wife's side. Like, they're all like healthy and in banking and like normal stuff, okay? My side, like my granddad planted my home church that I grew up in. My grandmother was the church secretary. Okay, she'd so call the church. It was my grandmother, okay? And so uh, my parents were missionaries in El Salvador for 36 years. Now my dad's a pastor in South Mississippi. My sister and brother-in-law are missionaries to unreached people groups, okay? My cousins are in ministry. My uncles are pastors, so we're eat up with it, right? And honestly, we all love it. Like, we really, really, for my grandparents and parents and uncles and, and their wives, it, it, we saw what healthy ministry could really look like, and we really enjoy it. And so um, they all, you know, everyone in my family walked worthy of the calling, as Paul says. And so I'm grateful for that. So again, uh, if you're a first-time guest today, just kind of, so we're finishing First Peter, just kind of go with us as we use a lot of churchy language. Uh, this is a church after all. And so let's look at First Peter chapter 5. We're going to read all of it. So Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Pastor, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not though, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's Jesus. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on to Jesus because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sorry, I went KJV there. That's what I memorized it in. Uh, resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a uh, faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, she sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And all the single men said, okay. So peace to you all who are in Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, by the way, guys, you know not to ever use that verse as some kind of pickup line or to advance things forward. You know that, okay, in Jesus' name. So verse 1, Peter's like, all right, you know, elder to elder, all right? 
elder to elder, pastor to pastor, let me kind of set you on the right trajectory so you lead the church in the appropriate way like Jesus wants you to. And he describes how a pastor should lead, how we should be, and overall where a pastor sources his hope, where we put our anxieties, what do we do with the anxieties that we experience. So let's kind of zoom out for a minute and talk about the whole New Testament. So an important detail to know about the office of the pastor. So pastor, elder, and overseer are three interchangeable words in the New Testament. So they're not the same word, but they're interchangeable words. So they're three different words describing the same office, okay? So, and pastor doesn't have to be somebody's full-time job, like it is mine or Pastor Jeffrey's. So we have a mix of kind of lay or non-staff and staff elders here. We like that. We like having a mix of staff and non-staff overseers. So Caitlin and I made a graphic, mainly Caitlin, okay, to show you what I think is kind of the, the biblical model for healthy leadership in the church, okay? We want to be on the healthy highway, okay? And there are ditches on either side. So the, the healthy highway for the kind of structure of church leadership that I see in the New Testament is God gives pastors authority. We see in verse 2 today, oversight. So we exercise oversight. We're going to talk the rest of our time today what exactly that means, okay? And then secondly, that, that people give the pastors trust. So God gives us authority or oversight, and then people give pastors trust. So that's the healthy highway that we want to be on at Redemption City. We want to have systems and structures then in place to prevent us from getting into one of these two ditches that so often happens in so many churches around us. We don't want to happen here. So the first ditch that we see is that pastors abuse their God-given authority. All of us have stories that we've seen that, we've experienced that. I have those as well. And or people give blind trust. When people give blind trust, what's pretty likely going to happen is that first thing that's noted in ditch number one. So part of why we like to have kind of a mix of non-staff and staff elders or staff pastors is because that kind of prevents us from being domineering, from uh, exercising oversight in ways that God does not want us to, okay, right? So the, the fact that Ed's, so Elder Ed over here, so Ed, his income does not come from the church, so it doesn't matter what y'all think about him. That's a healthy thing. It doesn't matter what I think about him. His income is going to be just fine this week. That, that structurally prevents us from acting in a non-biblical way, right? So we have a finance team, all kind of things that we have to set up so that we don't uh, go into this first, first ditch where people give blind trust. So we have a finance team that looks in, into the things that are coming and going. Pastors on our lead team rotate off, except for me, because we don't really know how that would work if I rotated off the, the elder team. But all the other guys, they basically take a turn. And then it's not a perpetual board that we're on the rest of our lives, right? So trust, but not blind trust. You see the balance there? And then ditch number two is structurally, people have the authority, Okay, pastors are not given trust. The people have all of the authority. And on, I have a, a lot of examples, you know, uh, most of my life I've been a Baptist. Okay, so I, I have a lot of examples of things where that happens. Most of the time when that happens, when people kind of rest authority, it's because there's been abuse or there's been some kind of misuse of authority in the past. And so now that the people have the authority, the church splits because they're, they want to vote on everything, and uh, they, they split about the color of the carpet or some kind of you know, trivial vote like that is, is kind of the outcome of what typically happens. So God holds it in high esteem who leads his church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can turn there or we'll have it on the screen. 
Paul gives uh, the qualifications for elders or the qualifications for pastors. Titus has a similar list. So what First Peter is going to address today is how, what does it look like? What kind of spirit do we have day to day? How do we shepherd the flock? But Timothy gives qualifications for pastors. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, uh, keeping his children submissive. Nailing that one. For if anyone, for if someone uh, does not know how to manage his own household, how in the world will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Um, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. So there are more disqualifications than just marital fidelity, right? To be quarrelsome or to be a lover of money, all these things are disqualifying. So what you see in that list is God cares for his people so much that he holds the bar pretty high for who leads his people. All That list all points to God's care for you. You see that, right? So uh, go back to 1 Peter. Peter leads with his most important point in verse 2, and with an analogy, he says, pastors shepherd the flock of God. So you see that analogy, that's how he wants pastors to lead the church, like a shepherd. Pastors, don't lead like a CEO, just maximizing profits, not just, we're not always just concerned about budgets and butts, y'all heard about, so pastors always want to grow the budgets and butts in the seats. Have y'all never heard somebody say butts in church before? I might just say it again, and all guys, people say, don't, okay. Uh, so, so instead of just, just being worried about budgets and butts, and like a CEO, maximizing profits and the bottom line all the time, we lead like shepherds. We don't lead like a head football coach, not giving an inch and always demanding excellence in every single... No, we, we lead like a shepherd. Shepherds don't, don't push the sheep, they lead the sheep, right? Psalm 23, uh, one of the more famous passages in all the scriptures, it's all about how are, you know, describing a shepherd and its imagery for Jesus and we can use it in today's text as well. Psalm 23, 4 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You ever heard that? Your rod and your staff comfort me. So, you know, like picture like little Bo Peeps, like, like the staff with like the hook on the end. That's what he's talking about. For so long, I pictured the rod and the staff, this one thing. You know, I thought whenever he was saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I thought he was saying, well, even when God's getting onto me, it's comforting because God loves me. That's not what that verse is about, okay? That's not what that verse is saying at all. A shepherd in Israel carried his staff, and he would gently kind of nudge the sheep's shoulders whenever it would almost veer off the path. Whenever it was going to fall into a ravine or something, he would just gently nudge the shoulders so that the, the sheep, you know, stayed on the right path. The purpose was to help. But if a predator came near, that staff turned into a rod, a baseball bat. So the, the wolves and the predators lived close, lived close to the hillside. So, as the sheep followed the shepherd and walked along the hills through the valley, wolves and cougars might go after the sheep. Now, when I say cougar, I don't mean like middle-aged women trying to date younger men. I know some of you thought that. Though dangerous in their own right, okay. I'm talking about real cougars who would eat the sheep alive. So, the rod wasn't to go after the sheep, but after the predators, right? So, same in pastoral ministry. The rod isn't to go after sheep, although some men think that. The rod is to go after 
predators that might come. A lot of the New Testament is how to protect your, your, your church from outside predators. In the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, one of my favorite sermons I preached this year, I just love studying that parable. You can, it's, on there, it's, on our, uh, it's on the internet somewhere. <laughs> but in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, Jesus told this story uh, that he kind of made up, and he talked about how there was this shepherd who one sheep got away, and the shepherd left his 99 obedient sheep. He left 99 good sheep in an open field, not fenced in, to go after the one lost wandering sheep. And that really shows us God's heart. So as we hear about that, we go, okay, he, he leaves 99 sheep, puts them at risk to go after the one. The investor listening to Jesus' story might have gone, 1% loss, big deal. Write that off on taxes, let's move on. You got 99%, that's okay. Or the religious person listening in, they might have gone, well, they didn't obey the rules. Too bad. That sheep didn't obey. They get what they get. They're out of here, okay? So, but what we see under Jesus' leadership is that a shepherd is committed to his flock. A shepherd loves his flock. This is one of the reasons I say purposefully all the time, I hope I die at Redemption City. I hope God lets me serve here for decades and decades, okay? So when you're hurting, I feel it too, you know? Jeffrey feels it too, Pastor Jeffrey. We feel it. So when you get caught back up in your sin or something like that, right, you know, you're disappointed, you confess it, we're with you in that. Like, we feel that with you. Chaz, who preached here a couple of weeks ago, he shared about, they're kind of pregnancy with Nico, who's one and a half and, and thriving now. But they got some really tough news uh, that he shared publicly, so I, I feel like I, I can share a little bit more about it now. But they, the doctor basically told them Nico's probably not going to make it when they were pregnant. And I was their first call. You know, and I flew over there, and we cried our eyes out in their living room. I'm talking ugly cry, you know, and that's the job. You know, that's the privilege of this role, uh, of this calling. I love preaching. I've never seen a stage I didn't want to stand on, okay? But that's the job. The privilege of walking with people through the valleys and then back onto the mountaintops and back into the valleys throughout life, that, that's the privilege of this calling. And there's really, really good news today, okay? Verse 4 shows us, Jesus is the chief shepherd. You're not depending on me. He gives me some authority and some oversight. Great, great, great. But Jesus is the chief shepherd of Redemption City. While I love you, and I do with all my heart, I mean that, and Pastor Jeff loves you, Elder Ed loves you, we're not going to bat a thousand. We're going to do our best, I promise you, but we're not going to bat a thousand. We're going to mess up here and there. Jesus is the chief shepherd of Redemption City. Our hope is in him. Our church is under his direction and guidance, and he will never fail us. So within Peter's direction to pastors, he gives us his great reminder that the church belongs to Jesus. Look back at verse 2. Peter says for pastors to exercise oversight and then gives us some clarifying like, like this but not like that statement. So he says, exercise oversight, pastors, not, for, not under compulsion though, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but be an example. Peter's getting to the heart of the matter. I've told this story before because it was just so pivotal in my life. I was probably 28, 29, and Courtney and I one night, we were talking about where we might plant the church one day. And we're just kind of dreaming and talking, what about New York? And what about Chicago, Philly, that kind of conversation. And I think she, she goes, well, what about San Diego? Great weather. What if we planted in San Diego? And I go, yeah, there's not a famous pastor there. She goes, well, why do you say it like that? Because maybe, it kind of dawned on me that night, 
Maybe there was more to my desire to plant the church than just, uh, you know, giving Jesus all the glory and making new disciples. Maybe I wanted some retweets. <laughs> Maybe I wanted a platform, right? But, you know, understand, uh, getting into ministry and, and so that people might notice you is like preaching a wedding and getting all upset because they keep talking about the bride. Right? It's all about Jesus. <laughs> if I'm doing this, if we're doing this for any other reason, then it's moot and it's worthless. And what I've seen now in ministry 20 years, pastors can hurt a lot of people if they're in ministry for the wrong reasons. We can hurt a lot of people if we're in ministry for the wrong reasons. Now understand, honestly, leading under compulsion will get your podcast engagement up quicker. Uh, Leading for shameful gain will ramp up your retweets and likes. Being a domineering leader often grows your church faster for a short time, but these are all short-term increases that leave Jesus' church and the pastor unhealthy and exhausted and damaged every time. That's why it's in the Bible, to protect the church and to protect the pastors. Don't lead like this. That's not what this is. The Bible gives us a structure and a pathway and even describes a culture that our local church can have so that we grow and add new disciples and we enjoy Jesus and we enjoy each other. That's all possible at the same time. As a quick aside, I can't talk about pastors today without talking about how passionate we are, passionate we are at Redemption City about multiplying disciples and multiplying pastors, giving pastors their first shot. Um, even this year, we sent out two pastors into their first pastorate. Sam Bunnell, was a, he and his wife were deacons here, and George Schroeder, he was one of our elders. And they're both today, they're in their first pastorate right now in different parts of the country. Uh, you know, so they got to preach some of their first sermons and lead ministries and do all that kind of thing here and grow up into ministry. Shaylee's another example we're sending out. And so that's what we really, really love to do. And so um, I don't know if you all have heard about the Preacher Boys. Okay. You love it. So every Tuesday, preacher, so uh, Toby and some other guys, okay, so we meet and we, they help me write the sermon every week, okay? I don't, you ever, so remember when you were getting your first job and they were like, hey, we, we want to hire you, we need, but we need somebody with three to five years experience. You're like, well, unless you hire me, I'm never going to get any experience. So we want to be that for young men and women for the next few decades, right? So we, they get their first shot. So Adrian just preached his first sermon to us a couple of months ago. In fact, Adrian, uh, you know, when you're in seminary, you take preaching classes. When you're going into ministry, you take preaching classes. And like the big final is you preach a sermon and everybody grades you. It's super intense. Adrian just preached his like final sermon and they said it was the best sermon. The professor said it was the best sermon of any, any guy in the class. Okay. So... I think part of that is because he has experience. Y'all listened to him. He did a great job. Y'all listened to him and took notes and were engaged, and he has real experience before he goes off into his first pastor or wherever God sends him. I remember at the last church I served at, there was this older lady who had a brilliant biblical mind. I mean, she, she knows more about the scriptures than I'll ever understand or know. And one night I was walking around the church, you know, and there was a class where a 23-year-old intern was teaching on systematic theology and the Trinity, Right. And it, it was bad. So I, I stood outside and listened for a couple of minutes and it was bad. I mean, it was messy. He said a few things that were just not true. Okay. And so, and I looked in and this lady who brilliant biblical mind lady, she's in there, she's looking him in the eye, she's taking notes and she's engaging with all of her heart, giving him her full attention. And after I caught her in the lobby and I was like, Hey, so how's that? And she goes, he's going to do great one day. 
She said, tonight I invested my attention into God's kingdom. He's going to do great one day, and he needs these reps. So I, I invested my attention into God's kingdom, and I love that awesome perspective. And so here today, maybe you think you're called to ministry. Maybe you're young. I was called to ministry as a teenager. Sometimes you find yourself thinking like, I wonder what pastors do. I wonder what it's like to lead a first impressions ministry or preach or whatever. Let's talk. Or maybe you're old and you think about that. That's great. Let's talk about it, okay? Uh, George Schroeder would not like this analogy, but George was called to ministry when he was like 48, 49 and sent out in his 50s into his first, he was a journalist and God called him out. It's, you know, God can do anything. So you, we love having that conversation. Let us be a part of the journey. We'll send out some pastors. Okay, so uh, Peter finishes with three challenges to pastors. And an identity-shaping reminder. i got to hurry here. So look at his first challenge in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves. In the Bible, you got two options with humility. Be humbled or humble yourself. I've chosen door number one way more than I would like to admit. You know, ministry and really your walk with Jesus is so much better if you'll make it about Jesus, if I'll make it about Jesus, everything gets out of whack really, really quickly when I make ministry about Jesus or when we make our walk with Christ about us. Look at the next challenge of verse 7. He says, cast all your anxieties onto Jesus because he cares for you. You know, there are some things in my job that I can't ever tell you about, right? Like if you if you come and confess something to me, you come tell me about something that's hurtful and deep in your life. Next Wednesday in my small group, I'm not going to share about that, right? I'm not going to share your stuff as a prayer request in any other setting. So there are these things, and I told you, when you are going through things, I feel it with you. And so Jesus, so God doesn't just go, yeah, tough. Yeah, I can kind of be heavy sometimes, huh, bud? Well, deal with it. No, he goes, yeah, pastoring can kind of be heavy sometimes. Tell me about it. Cast your anxieties onto me. I care for you. Pastor, you're not alone. And so as I grow into Christ and as we grow into trusting him more and more and more, we learn we're better to take our anxieties than a loving, caring God. Look at, don't, don't miss those four little words at the end of verse 7. He cares for you. Can you imagine? An all-knowing God who knows how many hairs are on each head across the globe, who knows the thoughts of every person at every given moment, and yet he cares for you. He cares for you. Look at the final charges in verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So these verses are quoted widely and often, right? And, and it certainly applies to every Christian. The devil hates you as much as he hates me. But I do think it's interesting that it's directed to pastors, you know? It would mean a lot to me if you prayed for me and my family often, you know? Listen, Jeffrey, Ed, we love this stuff. We love being pastors. Like right now, it's probably the busiest season I've ever been in professionally with the merging and everything. And I love it. I love all the plate spinning. I love all the stuff. I really, you know, I really, really love it. But we covet your prayers, understanding that the devil is prowling, right? You know, 16,000 pastors leave the ministry every year. And so for those of you going into ministry, I take a very proactive approach to that. So he even says here, be firm, be steadfast. Those are active words. And so we don't just wait for the devil to prowl and pounce. I have a weekly Sabbath, 
where I restore, you know, I'm restored in Christ. I have a daily quiet time where I read the Bible and pray to Jesus. I, I, I tithe so that the money's grip on my heart is loosened all the more, right? So we, we practice these things to be steadfast and to be as firm as possible. You know, verse 9 doesn't say, there's a small chance the enemy might attack. It's coming. So I covet your prayers. Look at verse 10. Man, I love this verse. In light of all that, and after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he doesn't farm this out, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. God is so good that he gives structure so that you can be cared for, and he's so good that he doesn't want to wear us out as pastors either. 